Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. Uh, This passage of Scripture that we have been reading, uh, read just, you know, two days ago, I think. Um, And uh, when we were there in Richmond, uh, we were standing around discussing this and talking about the different things that each of us got out of it that morning and, uh, you know, different uh, things with, that kind of struck people as they read and several men commented in, in different directions with regards to this passage of Scripture. Uh, but as we just read it, uh, you know, and stirred my heart with regards to a thought here, um, wanted to share this with you. I don't expect to be very long. We'll probably be uh, done early this evening, probably. Sometimes when I say that, it doesn't happen, but uh, probably be done early this evening. Um, but, you know, one thing that Brother uh, Glover said that really struck him over the last few weeks uh, or, or whatever, 10 days of reading this passage of Scripture here with Pharaoh and the children of Israel and whatever is that how much we need to be praying for our rulers, Because you think about all these decisions that Pharaoh was making, and all of Egypt was reaping. (laughs) All of these plagues and all this stuff. I mean, Pharaoh was the one deciding it, and everybody else had to just live with it. And they're the ones getting all of these frogs and dealing with the death of their firstborn and the death of all their animals and all the plagues that, that came and he said, man, just, it just struck me how we need to be praying for our leadership because the decisions that they make affect us as a country and uh, very uh, applicable for, for us. And, you know, several men mentioned different things, and I, I will mention some of those maybe as we go through this. But I want to preach to you tonight. This passage of Scripture probably gets preached a lot. Uh, it's something that it, we face as individuals, uh, find ourselves in this place throughout our lives. Uh, I want to preach to you tonight, the message is entitled, How to Escape When Entangled. How to Escape When Entangled. Look in chapter number 14 in verses 1, 2, and 3, where we find the text verse for this evening, and we will be looking at the balance of the chapter as we go through this. But he says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before... Hathron, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belzephon, before it, and shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. They were entangled in the land. They said, Pharaoh is going to say, they're entangled, they're they're." they're up against it. The land's got them blocked in. I mean, he, they would have been watching. The enemies of God's people would have been watching. They would have known what path they took. I mean, it wasn't a small band of people. There was no question. It wasn't, we got to find the sign. Where did they go? I mean, two million people left a pretty good track. I think they could tell where they went. And they said, he said, hey, Pharaoh's going to see that these were entangled. They escaped from Egypt. They journeyed into the wilderness. These stories that we read about the children of Israel are encouraging to us. They're challenging to us. They're, they're fun to read. Some of the Bible, I mean, if we were honest, is not that fun to read. It's kind of challenging, and we look at it and say, Lord, 
why did you put this in here? <laughs> I mean, what meaning could this possibly have for us? And we, we struggle sometimes to read those passages, but these stories are, are alive and full of application for us and how they fit in our lives. And we find ourselves many times entangled uh, in a situation uh, without an answer, not knowing what to do, uh, trapped, not knowing how to get out. This amazing story of deliverance here that takes place in chapter number 14 in a situation that looked impossible. Sometimes our lives, we find ourselves in places like that where the situation looks impossible. We don't think that there's a solution. We're at least struggling and battling to find it. They thought all was lost. They found themselves with their back against a wall with the Red Sea on one side and nowhere to go, and the Egyptian army on the other side. They weren't going to outrun them. Two million people, the Egyptian army coming with their horses and their chariots. There was no hope, they thought. So what do you do? How do you escape when you're entangled? I'll give you some simple thoughts here from this passage of Scripture. Uh, let me pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for tonight and the opportunity to gather in your house. We thank you, God, for these people that have taken of their time this evening to gather here. They've met, Lord, to sing songs of praise to you. They've met in obedience to you and in following your command. But they've gathered here, God, because they have a desire to hear from heaven. And Lord, as I present the truths of your word, I understand that I'm a finite man preaching an infinite truth. And Lord, we ask that you would allow me to step out of the way and that you would use the power of the Holy Spirit to apply the principles found in the scripture tonight to the heart of every man and woman here. Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would be challenged. Lord, where each person is individually, would you take the word of God and drive it home to our hearts. May we be grateful to you. Lord, for bringing us to your house this evening. And we'll thank you for it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In verse number one, I want you to notice it's very important as we lay the foundation for, for the points I want to give you that we understand that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, do you understand that the Lord told them where to go? The Lord directed their steps. God, it wasn't a, a, a mistake. It wasn't a, a question of how did we end up here? Man, we should have turned left and we, and we turned right. Oh, my goodness. No, they were directed by God. It was God's plan for them to end up right there where they were. That was God's plan. You know, the Bible tells us the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Lord directs our steps, and in your life, as situations arise, as things come about, uh, you may find yourselves with your back against a wall or the Red Sea, as it were. Understand that the Lord directs our steps. Sometimes the book of Proverbs says, A man deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Sometimes we have devised a way, we have set a plan in motion, and you know, our plan was, let's say, we were going to get married and, you know, we were going to kind of get to buy a house. And, and then, 
get established in business. And then after that happened, we were going to have some kids and we kind of had a plan. And then nine months after the honeymoon, here comes the first child. That wasn't part of our plan. But God knows. God directs your steps. God knew that he was going to give you that child and that it was going to be at that time in your life and that it was necessary and that you needed it. And you look at it and you say, oh my goodness. I mean, I remember Mary and I, when we were first married, we had only been married a couple of years and I was still in college and we were living in a mobile home. And uh, although I had a good job, we didn't have surplus of money and things were tight. And I remember Mary coming to me and telling me, um, <clears throat> honey, I'm expecting. And that was not in the plan. I was like, wow, what are we going to do? Oh, my goodness. And then I, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, our, our living room didn't even have any carpet. It was plywood because we hadn't bought carpet yet. We'd just been married a little while, just bought this house, and we're kind of remodeling it. And she was sitting in a chair, and I was kneeling on the ground in front of her, and I had my hands in her lap. And I just looked up to her, and I said, God knows. God will take care of us. Whatever it is, God will take care of us. Little did I know, about three months later, I'd be comforting her in her hospital as she miscarried that child. And we have one in, one in heaven today. God planned that. We would not have set those things in motion. We didn't know what that would be, but I want you to understand that as a believer, we understand that God is in control and God directs our steps. He leads us. Now, sometimes we get off the path and sometimes we make some situations in our life, we make the mess ourselves. And we understand that, that, you know, there's things that we can't control if you get sick, if, if, if you know, uh, something comes about like that and, and uh, you get an un- unexpected bill or, or a tree falls on your house or, I mean, those things, you, hey, just know that God knows and God's directing your steps. But praise the Lord, even in situations where we make the mess ourselves, we can still cry out to God as they do in this passage of Scripture here. Even when we, the ones that messed up, we come kind of uh, gingerly, as it were, and, and Lord, I know, I'm, I know this is my fault, but could you help me? And praise God, He's there, and He does help. God directs the events of our life. He's brought you to a Red Sea sometimes. Maybe you've got doctor bills, or you've got some failing health, or you've experienced the passing of a loved one in your life. The Lord knows He's directing your steps. I heard a story of a missionary, Greg Davis. Uh, He was the founding pastor of the church where I served, Mary and I served on staff for almost eight years in Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, he re-stepped down because he felt God calling him to the mission field. And so he went to Canada to be a missionary. And uh, I heard him speak one time, and he was telling a story of how when he was in college and he was serving the Lord, that in one week he had four flat tires. And he thought, oh, man, four flat tires in one week. Then... He went out on bus calling on Saturday. 
to go visit some people. And at about 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, he had his fifth flat tire. Now, just to make a long story short, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of the elaborate detail which he tells about where these tires popped and what happened and all of that, but he had four flat tires on Saturday. So here he is, eight flat tires in one week. He pulls up in front of a house with this eight flat tire, clink, 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 stops and gets out of his car, and he says, I was so mad. He says, I was questioning everything I knew about God. I mean, I was saying, Lord, what in the world? I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying, I'm out here on the bus route, and you keep giving me flat tires? And he said, I was just steaming. He says, I wanted to get out of my car and grab a brick and throw it through the window. He said, I was so mad. He said, I got out of my car and I turned around and I was about to kick my car. And he says, and I looked, and there in the bus home, looking out the window, was a teenage girl and her mom. And he said, what I need to tell you is that this teenage girl, about three months earlier, had trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she had come faithfully to Sunday school every week since. And every Sunday, she would leave at the close of the morning service, she would come up to him and say, in tears say, would you pray for my mom? She needs to be saved. My mom is not saved. Would you pray for my mom? Every Sunday, she would be in tears, pray, pray for my mom. He had been to their house to witness to her several times, and she, her mom said, no, she wasn't interested, didn't want to hear it. Good for her daughter, not for her. You know the story. Well, he turned around about ready to kick his car, and he looked up and saw them looking out the window. And the Spirit of God gave him grace to not do anything but to walk into the house, explain the situation, borrow a phone. This is pre-cell phone. Borrow a phone, call for help again for the fourth time on that day. But within two months, he was able to lead that mom to the Lord. She trusted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. You see, that trial in his life wasn't for him. And had he lost his testimony that day in front of their house, that lady might possibly never have gotten saved. God directs our steps. Sometimes we can't know or don't understand why we are up against a Red Sea. But know that God knows. I want you to see why God did this to the children of Israel. Look in verse number 3. In verse 3 and 4. He says, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. He says that Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. It wasn't, had nothing to do with the children of Israel. The children of Israel had already seen great miracles. They had already seen God do magnificent things. 
here they were with their back against uh, the Red Sea, and what an amazing experience for them to see God deliver them this way. And we look at this, and, and we, we can teach and preach so many different directions with regards to them being saved and delivered and walking across on dry ground, and look at what God did for them. But the purpose, according to the Scriptures here, was that the Egyptians would know that God was God and that God would be honored. Do you understand sometimes in your life the battles that you face, the struggles that you go through? You know, we're just real good at thinking it's all about us. It's all about me. You know, this that I'm going through, this trouble that I'm facing, and why do I have to endure this? And Greg Davis there that day thinking, man, I'm serving you, Lord, and why do I have to have these flat tires? It's always about us. But sometimes it really is not about us. God might be using us to put us in the right place at the right time to glorify him. I remember when my dad fell 25 feet, busted his back, broke both of his wrists, was life-flighted to the hospital. We got the call and thought dad was going to die. I remember that when he went into the hospital, he was being rolled in on a gurney, and there was a man coming out of the hospital that looked and saw him and said, Pastor Vitrell, what are you doing here? And my dad, all in his braces, all strapped down to this thing, being hauled in with a broken back and broken wrist, he looked up at him and says, I don't know, maybe to see you. You haven't been in church in a while. You're doing what God wants you to do. Sometimes the things that we're going through really aren't about us. They're about what God wants to do through us to reach other people with his message, with his love. It might be about you. God sometimes uses things in our lives to test us and to train us, to, to, to prepare us for what's next, but it's not always about you. Now look back at verse number five. He says, And I told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Pastor Derek got a lot out of this verse. He said, It just hit me. Like, how in the world could Pharaoh ask that question? Why did we let him go? I mean, isn't it obvious why you let them go? Your country is decimated. I mean, everything is destroyed. Your firstborn is dead. You've experienced all of these plagues. You've gone through all of this, and you're asking, why did we let them go? Like they had a choice in the matter, ultimately. But isn't it amazing how quick we forget the judgment of the Lord and what God is doing Let's, for the sake of time, let's skip a couple of verses. Look down in verse number 8. The scripture has a unique phrase here that I just thought would be neat to point out. He says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Well, that's interesting. What does that mean? A high hand. So I had to read after some commentators and some different ideas with regards to that. But basically what it means is that they left Egypt 
in the light of the day. They left Egypt. They didn't sneak out. They had the blessing of the Egyptians. They walked out with a high head. They walked out with their head held high, and here we go. And, and hey, the Egyptians actually gave them gold and silver and said, hey, please, go. They walked out of Egypt uh, basically on cloud nine. They were ready to see. I mean, look at how God delivered them. They didn't have to, like, in the middle of the night, okay, ready? Maybe we can get out of here. Maybe we can get out of here before they wake up. And they didn't have to sneak out. God delivered them in a miraculous way, and they were able to walk out with their heads held high. It's amazing, as we'll see in a few minutes, how quickly God's people... Forget his deliverance. Look in verse number 9 through 11, we see uh, another phrase that's interesting. He says, And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook the encamping of the sea by Pihath-Hiroth before Bel-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? No graves in Egypt. That phrase kind of stuck out to me. I said, there was no graves in Egypt? I said, let me look at that a little bit. You know, that's not really, it couldn't possibly be that there was no graves in Egypt. So I started studying it out a little bit. And what we're talking about here, this is another place in the scriptures where we have comparative language. Here they are in the wilderness with two million. God had blessed their nation. Their nation had grown and grown and grown and grown. They were protected and provided for here in the nation of Egypt. And it's not that there was nobody no graves in Egypt, but in comparatively speaking, here they were, and they were going to have a mass grave here next to the Red Sea. By their perception, they were going to be killed, and they brought us out here to die. And in comparison to the grave that they would have here, they say, there's no graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here to have a mass grave. Here the children of Israel forgot what God had done for them. They forgot how good God had been, how God had blessed them, how God had brought them forth with their heads held high. How quickly we forget when our back's against the wall what God has done in the past. The victory that he's wrought in our life. The victory that we've had in bygone days. Sometimes, just a few days later, we forget how good God has been. They just saw God deliver them in such a miraculous way. You know, somebody said this, don't undo and doubt what God gave you in faith. Another way of saying it is, don't doubt on your feet what you determined on your knees. Another way of saying it is, don't question in the darkness, what you determine to be true in the light. What I'm saying is when God gives you direction, God directed the children of Israel to this place. God had told them this is where they were supposed to go. And here they were saying, oh no, we're all going to die. They doubted where they were. 
And what I'm saying is when God directs you in your life, understand there's going to be some opposition. There may be a bad day. There may be a time that it's hard, that it's a struggle, that you've got to fight uh, to get up the hill. But don't doubt what God gave you in faith when things get rough. You know, we're, we're today, Christianity has got the mindset that it's only God's will if it's easy. It's only God's will if it's uh, beneficial to me, if it somehow profits me. Because if it's going to cost me or if it's going to be hard or if it's going to be a struggle, well, that must not have been God's will. But that's not true. Sometimes it is, in fact, the will of God that you push uphill. It's not always going to be easy. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. And they were still facing this struggle. But I wonder, are you exactly where God wants you to be? I don't mean just physically. I hope that you've got settled in your heart and mind that you're supposed to be here as a part of Hunt Valley Baptist Church and that you, you know that and, and you, you're here physically. But what about spiritually? Are you where God wants you to be? Or is there some place in your life that you've said, no, I don't want to take that step. Don't, I'm okay. Don't push me, Pastor. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm not ready to take that step. I'm not ready to do that. Are you where God wants you to be? Look at verse number 12. We see how most of the world and even how most of Christianity responds when we get in a struggle. He says, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Most of the time, we respond with fear. We respond with, with, with uh, complaining. We respond with struggling with the situation. But God had directed them to this place. God had directed them. So what do you do when you find yourself entangled? What do you do when you find yourself here and you're trapped and it looks like there's no way out? Let me give you three things that I see in the scripture here that are uh, easily and well, well spelled out for us. This won't be very long, but look, first of all, in verse number 13, he says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. First thing that we need to do is we need to stand still. One of the hardest things for us to do as humans is to stand still. I remember when I was a teenager and we had a friend, and I've told you about him before, he was quite strong. He lived with us for a while. His name was Frank Escobar. And uh, he could, at 14 years old, he could bench press 350 pounds. And Frank used to grab us. He would tackle us and pull us down to the ground, put us in some kind of a hold, and he would say, say, Frank's the best. Say, Frank's the best. And I mean, we would struggle and fight and fight and just, I mean, just trying to get away. And he would just, there's just like nothing you could do. I mean, you know, just nothing you could do. Ultimately, 
you decided to give up and just say, okay, Frank's the best. And he's like, all right, he'll let you go. But sometimes that's where we find ourselves with our back against the wall. We want to struggle. We want to fight. We want to find a way. We want to get a solution. We want to make it happen. But what we need to do is just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The worst time to make a decision in your life is when your back's against the wall. You're going to make a decision, and I'll tell you what, the majority of the times it's going to be the wrong one. Oh, I've got to do something. I mean, I've got this financial problem, and, and so I've got to go do We've got to fix it. I mean, something's got to happen, and so I'm going to go and do this. I don't know if you guys listen to Dave Ramsey, but people call in there, and they've got the dumbest. They're like, okay, I've got this problem and this problem, so here's what I was going to do. And, he, and he'll be like, what? <laughs> what are you going to do? No, no, no. You need to take your car and you need to sell it. And he, he gives them some, some just basic fundamental things to get the problem fixed, but they're ready to, to just solve it. And they're going the wrong direction. The worst time to be making major decisions in your life is when your back is against the wall. We, we, in Psalms 11, verse number one, he says, In the Lord put I my trust. We need to just stand still. Get alone with God. Spend some time with God. Get in a place where you're all alone, where there's no TV, where there's no phone, where there's no electronics, where there's nobody going to bother you. You can just get alone and talk to God. And if you need to do some crying, you can do some crying and don't have to worry about who's coming in. And if you need to cry out or lift your hands up or, or, or you know, whatever you need to do, you can do it. It's just you and God. Get alone and let God meet with you and, and give you some direction and give you some peace in your heart. Don't flee. Don't make a decision. Wait on God. A lot of decisions that we make, sorry just doesn't fix it. Sorry is nice. Sorry is a start. But a lot of times the damage that's been done is not fixed by sorry. It's not fixed by uh, just saying, I'll try and do better. It's already, the damage is already done. You can first John 1, 9 it, and we know God's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he'll forgive you, but the mess you've made, you still got to clean up. The problems you've created, you still have to deal with. The heartache and the turmoil, you still have to live with. God forgives you, but he just doesn't just, doesn't just fix all that. So maybe instead of being rash and saying, I need to solve this, we just stand and wait on God. Then I want you to see in verse number 16, he says, but lift Thou up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You need to stretch forth your hand. Stretch forth your hand. And this is, the idea here is that God has given you something. You have some means. You have some ability. You have some talent. You have some way of helping. God does not... Just, God's not going to just do it for you. All through the scriptures, you see God calling on his people to exercise faith first. Stretch forth your hand. What if Moses said, God, could you just do it? God says, yeah, I could just do it, but I'm calling on you to take what you have and use that first. We like to say it like this here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. Do what you can do and... God will do the rest. 
What I'm saying is that you have some means, you have some ability, you have some strength, some capacity, whatever it is, and God's going to call on you to use that. He's going to call on you to take that step, to move in that direction. I heard a story the other night about a husband and wife that had a fight. And you know you're not supposed to let your, you know, the sun go down on your wrath. You're supposed to get things resolved. And this couple, they prayed together every night before they went to sleep. And it's a wonderful thing you ought to do. They were having a disagreement. They're laying in bed. And the husband said, I was just wondering who was going to speak first. He was laying there and his wife rolled over and she says, I'm just going to pray by myself tonight if that's all right. And he said, well, that's fine with me. He figured that she was going to pray quietly, like to herself. Oh, no. (laughs) She says, dear Lord, you know this man I'm married to. (laughs) Lord, you know what he's done. (laughs) And the prayer proceeded to be a message (laughs) for him. And he said, well... I can talk to God too. (laughs) And so they fought in their prayers, one with the other, right? (laughs) What I'm saying is, I was going somewhere with that. What I'm saying is somebody had to take the first step. Sometimes in your relationship, God's going to call on you and say, you need to swallow your pride. You need to just say, I'm sorry. You need to just say, I was wrong. You need to just say, will you forgive me? This whole thing wasn't necessary. God's going to call on you. You're going to say, well, I was right. I mean, I I shouldn't have to be the one to apologize. I shouldn't have to be the one to take that step. God's going to say, yeah, but you need to. For the sake of your relationship, for the sake of your testimony, for the sake of your family, whatever it might be, God's going to call on you to do that. What I'm saying is God's given you an ability. You see this all through the, the, the Bible. God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, okay, we're going to use that. And God looks at you and he says, what do you have? A lot of times people have come to me and say, Pastor Caleb, we need some help doing this or with that uh, in financial means one way or another. And the first question I have is, say, okay, what do you have? You need $1,000? How much of that do you have? Oh, well, I wasn't planning to tap my bank account. But you want us to meet that need. You tell me where you're at. What do you have? Now, listen, if they're, they're, they're flat broken, they've got nothing, then we're going to try and help. But if they have $800 in the bank, it wouldn't be wise of me as a pastor to call on you as a church to try and meet that need when they've got it sitting in the bank. So I try and figure out where are we at? What do you have? What can go towards this? Okay, we know that you can put, you know... $600 towards it. So what you have to have is $400. let us see what God can do. God calls on you to stretch forth your hand. Do what God wants you to do when he tells you to. Obey the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord. Turn to chapter 15, verse number one. We'll give you the last one. And the last thing that we need to do is we need to sing out. We need to sing out. He says, Then sang Moses, the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. 
and he has become my salvation. Sing out. When God delivers you, when you see God bring you through, don't forget about it. Don't, don't just say, oh, what a coincidence. I had an unexpected check come for $100 in the mail, and it was exactly what I needed. I mean, oh, what a coincidence. God gave me uh, a shirt that I needed, or God provided this need, or somehow the bills were mixed up, and I got a report that, that half of it was taken care of, or whatever it might be. You see the salvation of the Lord? Praise Him for it. Praise Him for it. Behold the works of God. And when we see the works of God, we need to praise Him for those things. God can and He will deliver. And when He does, praise Him for it. Sing out, sing out wonderful praises to the Lord.